No, that's fine. You want to talk into it quickly so we can just... Eat your soft white food. <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean? Look, <laughs> she was very angry about the color <laughs> of my, my lunch. She's just not noting that there's vegetables <laughs> under the giant piece of bread that they slapped on top of it. <laughs> Put a carb on it. <laughs> <laughs> one carb. <laughs> Only one carb. Only carb. One, right? one carb. <laughs> Welcome to Floor 9. Excited to have everybody here and be back. Um, Christina and Adam are both here with me. Hi, guys. Hello. How is your 2020 going so far? Busy. It's busy? been super busy. January was like an entire year. Yeah. I felt like I just it didn't exist. It was like CES and bam, now we're here. It's February. Like it's just a blur. I wish I felt like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're excited to have everybody back uh, at this year. Uh, and we're actually kind of going through a renovation this year. So we got plenty of new sections, new content, new guests, and we're really excited to uh, kind of kick off the year with this podcast uh, and kind of feature all these new sections. So um, we're actually going to go into our very first one titled Slacking Off. Uh, we have a very active Slack channel here at the lab. And Christina and Adam, I'm super interested to know from you, like what is something that was really interesting you saw posted uh, in our Slack this week? I have two. Oh, all right. Overachiever. I like it. Yes. Coming it's in strong. 2020. There are two twos in that number. So I have two <laughs> slacking off contributions. The first one is uh, we have someone on our team named Ben, who is a big sneaker head. He posted in Slack about this company called The Shoe Surgeon Okay, that takes sneakers that are released and does custom designs on them. And they are these. You have to see it in in a photo or in a video because they're the most intricately designed custom sneakers that I have ever seen. And I think it's showing this trend of like, we're almost moving past drop culture, right? We're moving past just the standard drop of access to the hundred Yeezys that are released. And people are now starting to cut it and mix it in very physical, tangible ways that make it even more one of a kind. Like it's not even one of a kind enough anymore to access the drop, you now can take it and make it your own. And I just think that is such a cool evolution of streetwear. So like, are, are they literally just like, like taking the shoe and ripping it apart? Like, well, like they'll take out, you know, like an entire like Nike swoosh, for example, and replace it with, with, with a custom one. They'll paint on top of it. They'll replace materials. They can do a bunch of different things with the sole. Huh. I just think it's such a cool yeah, concept. It reminds me of this. Uh, there's this company called Individualist that okay. does um, at-home screen printing for shirts. Okay. Reminds me of that. There's like this transfer of power given new technology that can do that kind of at scale. Right. And give, um, transfer the power to consumers to make their own things. And I just think it's super cool. That is cool. Well, we'll definitely be putting that in the show notes for our listeners to kind of go check out. Uh, Adam, I'll bounce to you. And then Christina will bounce back to you to make a nice little sandwich of, uh, of what we're slacking off here. Um, one of my favorite things that I've seen in a while is um, this Google Map, Maps traffic jam, um, where this guy created a traffic jam on Google Maps by f- putting um, a like sort of little red trolley that you pull behind you, filling it with about a hundred phones running Google Maps and pulling it down the street, thus simulating a traffic jam um, on Google Maps and thus diverting all of the traffic around that street because uh, they were trying to avoid that fake traffic jam. Um, this is not necessarily a dig on Google, Apple Maps, and Bing 
texting and pretty much everything else would, would work the same way. It just sees a lot of phones not moving very fast and sort of clogged up in the same area. Uh, and I think it's just an interesting um, hack on top of the the data that is being gathered from our devices and, and um, you know, an interesting, you know, way application of that data that is being leaked from those devices into, you know, creating a, I don't know, it, it felt like a nice little tech and art uh, thing. Right. Uh, I, this is not to encourage anybody to go out and do this and like clear their uh, commute home uh, by <laughs> buying clear, a clear lot of Clear schedules. We're buying 20,000 <laughs> phones and we're putting them on i It only took 100, but that's still a lot of phones for someone to buy. Right, yeah. I do think we should file that away for an interesting big idea for a brand though. Oh, yeah, as a new fun. way to stop traffic, quote unquote, or create <laughs> chaos through doing something like that. I think that's... We should 2020. Let's let's save that one. Yeah, put we're, a bookmark in. We're going analog in 2020. Wheelbarrows and mic stands. I love it. Um, so, Christine, what's what is your 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 second one to round out this uh, slacking off section here? So this is a good one to do last. I feel like <laughs> so at the Super Bowl, there is a rapper from Houston called Megan The Stallion. Okay, and she posted a video of her laying on a couch with a rapper from the Bay Area called G Easy. And the video spawned every meme possible about <laughs> these two's relationship to the point where g prom photo from high school was dug up. There were so <laughs> many memes created out of this moment, rumors about them dating, things like that. And I think what, in addition to just making me laugh for like a day, um, I just thought, one... It's so crazy how much attention we pay to other people's private lives. Right. And two, how much hysteria you can create from posting a video. My guess, personally, is that I think they're doing some kind of collaboration at some point. They're going to mm. drop music. And I think that's a trend we're seeing in music is like this manufactured storytelling yeah. around certain things like this that people read meaning into it, but there's not actually meaning other than promoting music. And I think it's interesting that as a music artist today, you kind of have to be active on social media to get likes and follows and streams. But I just thought more than anything, I just thought the memes were <laughs> we're, so we're hysterical. All right. That's great. I mean, it's a point. Getting a prom photo resurface is pretty impressive on like the sleuth side of things. Like, <laughs> Please go Google this. <laughs> It was so funny. <laughs> well, I will. Uh, we'll be doing that definitely after the show. And uh, listeners, you can better believe you'll find a link for that uh, in our show notes for this episode. Um, but with that, I think that like that's a great spin into today's topic, uh, talking about our annual outlook. The outlook twenty twenty is here. Um, it'll be released, Adam, in what the next couple days, weeks. <coughs> What's the? I can't tell you that. I can't tell. We're waiting. We're waiting for press. We're waiting for press. Okay. Well, TBD. Keep your eyes and ears <laughs> open now for it. Um, like, let's talk about the outlook. You know, what, what is this year's outlook? What is the main theme? Uh, I guess, you know, if you guys could sum it up in, you know, a sentence, you know, what is that? What is that overarching summary? <laughs> the, for the whole thing <laughs> in one sentence, in one sentence, I mean, or not. I, mean. <laughs> I could do it in one sentence. Do you want me to take a stab? I feel like you're really close to it too. Okay, I guess in one sentence, it's about how all of our major platform companies are looking towards the future and towards the post-smartphone future um, and trying to figure out uh, what their niche and what their angle will be into the future. And that's causing um, a lot of uh, changes to start to happen even before we we get to those platforms really being um, our major uh, connections with consumers. That was pretty good. If I had to add one sentence to that, <laughs> I would say... Since the last 
15 to 20 years have been dominated by us fitting technology into our lives. The next mm -hmm. wave will be about how technology fuses, as, because it's so developed, how it fuses into our lives and becomes more human and adaptable. Mm -hmm. I want to kind of dive into the four big trends that are that we'll be, we'll be talking about. So obviously this year, the outlook is as we already mentioned about how these major tech platforms are now shifting to this next uh, potential platform, wh wh whatever like that might be, uh, and really you know, how is it going to adapt to our lives? Um, so, kind of thinking about this, you know, Adam you, and Christina, like you guys came up with four big trends that that, that we should be talking about, or brands should be thinking about: uh, democratized creativity, ambient computing, algorithmic culture, and the age of anxiety. So I, I want to take a, a moment and kind of go through each of these sections uh, and just talk about like like the highlights and what each of them really mean for brands and marketers and what they should be thinking about. So um, Adam, let's just start with digital creativity. Like what is what is this section about? Like what does it mean for um, brands and kind of 2020? Yeah, so this is really about um, the idea that uh, the smartphone era has really been defined by creativity and access to creativity. The fact that you are consuming on the same device that can be used for creative purposes, whether that be photography or um, audio or more recently things like AR and VR and 3D modeling, mm -hmm. um, our phones are becoming more and more adept um, at create, creating these kinds of things. And you know, the desktop computing era was really defined by things first things like Word and Excel and eventually things like uh, Final Cut and Logic. Um, and our, our phones are, are sort of advancing down that same uh, pathway. And what this is doing is it's really opening up opportunities for everybody to be creative on a daily basis. We see this um, with Instagram and Snapchat um, and social networks, uh, but increasingly this is just becoming more a part of everybody's um, sort of daily habit is to create and remix content in new and interesting ways. Um, and that is opening up new opportunities for brands to be sort Sort of collaborative with their con with the consumers rather than um, just broadcasting their brand message. What is it about creativity that has like really like like, like latched on to like a consumer behavior and kind of shift? Because it, it seems like it's just something that was not around and now it's everything. Like we're just talking about like you know like like the burst of memes that have happened. Like people love making memes. Like they like they they, they, they like making TikTok videos. Like, like I guess what is it about creativity that is you know kind of like powering to consumers? Like what do they like about it? So I think if you look back to the desktop and the laptop era with things like Final Cut or GarageBand, it totally spawned new industries and shifted major, major industries like the music industry. If you think about what GarageBand and then SoundCloud did was democratize access to the studio mm -hmm. for a lot of musical artists. And I think SoundCloud was that distribution platform where you didn't need to go into Hot 97 and beg them to play your record. I think fast forward to the smartphone era, that is exponentially more available. Things like GarageBand, things like Final Cut are exponentially more available. Mm -hmm. And what we're seeing is everyone is a creator now. It's not just if you have musical talent or have an interest and you have a computer. Like Every single person with the smartphone is a Ansel Adams, right? right. Um, and I think when people realize that and start to have the tools to perform that way, I think you can start to see how in the same way that the music industry changed, the brand marketing industry changes when now everyone has access to be a creator. Yeah, and it's the, the tools are getting better and easier and doing more of the heavy lifting for us. So, 
on the photography side, our phones have so much computing power behind them that they're taking a lot of the basics of photography that you used to have to know how to adjust things like shutter speed and um, and focus to get to do things like take a portrait photo. Now your phone just does that for you automatically. Um, and there are new features coming to phones that'll make them even more advanced. Things like 3D scanning. That is something that we'll, we'll probably see in new iPhones later this year. So you don't even need to know how to make a 3D model yourself. You can scan something that already exists in the physical world and uh, be able to use that and maybe even reprint that out from a 3D printer down mm -hmm. the line. So a lot of these tools are becoming, because of things like machine learning and AI, are becoming easier to use and more accessible to people. I think we saw the same thing with GarageBand back in the day when you could just stitch together some loops in an original way and that could give you a new sound. Right. I mean, heck, we use GarageBand today to record this podcast. Um, but I was just kind of thinking, but like, I guess when all these tools become so accessible to all these creators and people start creating it, like, do we think it like is more leaning towards like creators are now like, I can see a way to like make money in the future. I think we'll start to see new hierarchies of ranking and filing that sort of thing. I think mm -hmm. when you think about influencers, for example, there are the ones that at the bottom and the mo most readily available types of influencers, they work with every brand. They don't have a point of view on products. They even might fake that they're advertising a product to get more followers. Virtual influencers, I would put there. Um, all the way up to the top where it's people that have context and credibility and authority to speak on a certain thing based on their experience, right? I think the byproduct of everyone having access to a camera and to information on Google and um, all of these tools for creativity means that I tomorrow could say I'm an expert in the Atlas Mountains travel in Morocco just from a couple Google searches and a couple photos I took, but I don't really have the context to do that. And I think what we'll start to see is more creativity tools come online is like who has the context to right. be able to speak authoritatively or, um, have an authentic opinion or curate content or be a brand that is about a certain form of self-expression, I think we'll start to see that filter out in the mm -hmm. same way that we've kind of seen the same mechanism work in the influencer marketing world. I love it. All right. Well, uh, more to come on that section you know, when the Outlook is officially published. So with that, let's transition to trend number two that all of our brands and marketers should be thinking about, ambient computing. Adam, I'll toss this one to you. What is ambient computing? So ambient computing is the idea that our uh, computing and our devices are going to sort of spread out and not just be 100% um, focused on the smartphone, but also um, connected to wearable devices and out in the world, um, in our whether that's in our homes, in our retail environments, in our connected cities in the future. Um, this is where uh, where Google and uh, Amazon are really focused uh, in the future. Um, having a constellation of devices that uh, are personalized to you and can cap capture data and also provide answers um, for and services for you out in the world. 2020, privacy is a big thing. Mm -hmm. Like, How does privacy play into this world of ambient computing? Because if we are kind of always logged in wherever we go, like is there like like in a sense like a new terms of service for like our physical lives that like needs to be signed when you walk into different retailers you know connected your home car like how does privacy play in this whole ambient computing 
Yeah, I think privacy is actually the thing that is going to force ambient computing from being sort of an open thing that happens into consolidating it into a few companies. Mm. Um, Google, their interface for this is Google Assistant. Um, Google will manage through their Assistant platform which data, what data is allowed to be communicated to third parties, and you'll manage all that through sort of a Google profile. So as long as you trust Google to keep that safe from third parties, you'll be fine. On the Amazon side of things, they're looking at things like Amazon Go and Dash Replenishment Service and sort of the idea of being logged into a physical space. Amazon also is another, I think, logical aggregator for that. I think the challenge is that um, this is going to make it really hard for smaller or third-party startups to really penetrate the space because you're not going to necessarily trust your random coffee shop or you know small independent boutique store um, with your data. Um, and they're going to have to partner with somebody who does have a trusted relationship with consumers in order to provide those kinds of services. I do think if you think about kind of the mobile adjacent technologies that are coming online, like hearables, AirPods, mm-hmm. like the Apple Watch and other smartwatches, those aren't really ripe uh, environments for advertising yet. And I think Mm -hmm. a lot of the privacy debate has focused on how we use our data and how it is sold and packaged to advertisers. Uh, That is one very small part of a broader conversation on privacy, of course. But as we kind of move towards these like micro ecosystems of ambient computing, think like the hearables connected to wearables connected to maybe your mobile phone as like kind of a consolidation point. And then as we expand out, like from ourselves out into the world with smart cities, um, I don't know what advertising opportunities are going to exist. And I think, and I'm not saying that to say that privacy isn't important. It totally is. I mean, if you're logged in both in your home, out of your home, everywhere you go, you have to be logged in. Obviously, my data and especially my biometric data needs to be protected. I think the point I'm trying to make is that these environments won't really be used for advertising, mm-hmm. maybe, or yeah. it, used for advertising yeah. in the same way that we think about advertising now. It's like, like infrastructure in a sense, right? It's it's, it's like it's like it's like the pipes. Not gonna not, not, gonna, not gonna put an ad on like a gas pipe underground or something like that. Yeah, but I will say that the reason that Google and Amazon are both interested in this is that it can give them enough data to help target you on platforms that are more friendly to advertising. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I think that, that it's really a data play for both of them, and that's sort of why they're invested in it and interested in owning that consumer relationship. Because if Google knows where you're going and which stores you're interacting with, they can obviously use that on the back end for Google search ads, search ads. and Google yeah. product ads. Which actually is a case for Apple to take a bigger role in the smart city given their app login with Apple ID advancements that they've been talking about as well as their rumored AR glasses and their rumored car launch, I think you could start to see kind of the underpinnings, albeit of a smaller play than a Google or an Amazon, but the underpinnings of a smart city infrastructure that is um, rooted in privacy Mm -hmm. and is rooted in keeping devices or keeping data on local devices as opposed to sending to the cloud. They could, if they wanted to make a play there, given kind of the building blocks they're putting into place. Yeah, it seems like it's similar to like AR, like this could be one of those environments where we're going to have like split realities where for example, if you if, if if you're in Apple's ecosystem and you like and you can pay for privacy, you can afford it, you'll have privacy, no ads, but then if you're in the Amazon and Google ecosystem, you're kind of forced to be targeted. Yeah, I think the challenge is just that whether it's AR glasses or logging into a physical retail space that you can get personalized recommendations and things like that. I just don't 
see how that really works when people are using different platforms. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. You might be able to use a different platform in a different retailer. Um, and, and I think that would scale to maybe three or four different platforms that, that you could manage your, your sort of data within. But it doesn't work for if, if I'm on Apple's platform and you're on Google's platform and we're both trying to use the same services in the same store. I don't think that will that will happen. And um, Toyota and I, being on a different protocol than Uber being yeah. on a different protocol than whoever. Yeah, I think there work. needs to be, first of all, there needs to be interconnects because when you're talking at the city level, you have to have a way for different platforms to communicate with each other. But within the same location, I don't know that there's going to be separate platforms, the same private location or public mm-hmm. location that's using something like that. Clearly on a city street, you'll have different platforms intersecting with each other. But um, yeah, I just, I just I struggle to see how that ends up in a similar position to the smartphone where we have two major platforms that basically do the same thing. Right. Interesting. Well, do you have any front runners, favorites in the, in, in the race to build this out? Amazon, Google, Apple, a dark horse we haven't talked about yet. I mean, the one company that I think is interesting on the independent side is Foursquare. Um, they have a ton of data on footfall in retailers. They're already mm-hmm. working with retailers to track the um, the attribution from uh, other other ads into retail stores. I think that if we if an Amazon Go style store where you're basically logged logged into a physical space, if that does become common, which I think it will, um, you know, I think Amazon is ready to provide that service to other people. I know Microsoft is. I think Foursquare is sort of an independent uh, that uh, might be appealing to. People like a Target or a Walmart who doesn't want to use Amazon's technology. I think you touch on an interesting point that is the winner that wins the battle of aggregating all of this data and being the login or whatever it is, I think has capabilities that span digital and physical, and they've demonstrated an ability to link both of those. I think when you think about Google, other than Waymo, for the most part, that is a very digital company. I think what Amazon has that is a a strategic advantage over Google is the ability to link physical and digital data spaces, et cetera, Mm -hmm. um, and provide that seamless experience. Mm -hmm. Because I think as we move forward, there is no digital and physical, especially if you look at younger generations, I don't know that they delineate between their digital identity and their physical identity. I think it's just their identity. And we still do that because we remember a world where we still had analog processes, but I don't, I don't know. I I think the winner would have to be able to accommodate both of those and move Mm -hmm. between the digital and physical seamlessly, because I think that's really the only way to win. Yeah. It's, I mean, in 2020, it's the same. Like, I think if you if you if you have a strategy where you delineate between the two, that kind of puts you at a disadvantage because if if you're not thinking about them in the kind of like a whole set, um, you're going to have some major disconnects behind between consumers and how they're actually interacting yeah. online and offline. So great. Well, I think that this this one actually might be like my favorite section coming up here: algorithmic culture. Did I, did I say that right? Algorithmic yes. culture. Um, what other way would you say that? I don't know. Sometimes I stutter over things. <laughs> so just, just algorithmic, algorithmic yeah. culture, cultier with a little yeah. accent over the E. Cultier. Um, yeah. What is this culture that has been now defined by algorithms? Are they good? Are they bad? Mm-hmm. What's going on in this section? 
Well, I think the, the idea here is that um, because of a lot of factors, including the outpouring of new content from that digital creativity section, the outpouring of more data from that ambient computing section, uh, we're basically in a, a world now where um, right now a lot of our media preferences are re really driven by algorithms and not by uh, programming in the way that they used to be, where you know we used to have primetime TV and uh, rush hour drive time radio, and and um, you know news was on at like six p.m. and that's when you would get your major uh, international news. And now it's really algorithms that are driving when we're watching those shows, when we're listening to those uh, the, that radio, that audio, when we're uh, get receiving news. Certainly, is all all driven by algorithms. And right now that's happening in the media space. But if you look at that ambient computing space, it's pretty easy to see that eventually a lot of our the rest of our lives will also be driven by algorithms. Um, I look at what um, Apple is doing with the the Siri watch face on the Apple Watch, where it tells you not just um, you know when you have a meeting or a phone call at work, uh, but also when you should be meditating and when you should be exercising. Mm. Um, and it's really starting to program tell you at basically any moment what you should be doing um, through the course of your day. And it's not quite there yet, but you can kind of squint and see how it's going to be there in the future. Um, and I think that uh, this is uh, something that we have to grapple with as, you know, from a media and advertising side of things, like how do we make sure that we show up in those algorithms when we can't really just buy our way into the top of them. Um, and then uh, also just uh, from a consumer perspective, like how much are consumers going to embrace these algorithms versus push back against them and look towards things like human curation. Mm -hmm. it, it sounds like we just want to think for ourselves between like ambient computing and all the content being sort of just like kind of just like recommended to us through algorithms. We kind of lose a part of ourselves in the, in the middle there. Do you get the sense that people hate algorithms? I think, and why I ask that is because I think algorithms themselves are agnostic. They're not inherently good or bad. The fact that I get a recommendation from a machine is not, in its very essence, a good thing or a bad thing. I think it's like a null thing. And I think a lot of the backlash we're hearing is around just that, is around mm -hmm. like machines are programming my thinking, which I think is starting to feel bad. But I guess I'm just questioning, is that bad? <laughs> I think that there, I think this is going to be a generational divide. I think that younger people will not at all think that it's bad. I think mm -hmm. they think it, yeah. will think it is normal. I think that older people will probably push and older people, I'm including like the people in this room probably um, will push back against it a little more. Uh, ultimately, I think right now the question around algorithms is really people are concerned about it because of what we saw happen um, with social media and news and politics mm -hmm. and just how like we maybe rushed we maybe rushed yeah. into the algorithm without the algorithm actually being ready to mm. do what we needed yeah. it to do yet mm -hmm. uh, and that that had some unintended consequences which yeah. we talk about a lot so I think that you know if you fast forward into the future there will be a time where I don't think that many people will push back against that idea very much um, and may increasingly opt to not ignore it. Like right now, you, it's easy for you to just say, oh, that's not what I'm interested in looking at right now. I'm going to ignore it. Eventually, I think some people will opt to not ignore it, <laughs> basically, um, right. more and yeah. more. Actually, I was thinking like in the vein of bias seeping into algorithms, like is there any more ultimate bias than human curation in a way. And I'm not saying that human curation is bad, but as algorithms improve and the technology actually gets there, I I don't 
I wonder if we will reframe how we think about human curation and what value that will provide. I think right now we think of it right as like a tool for differentiation and with people we trust, we trust them to tell me what to pay attention to. And I think that's just been marketing forever. Right. But I wonder what the role of human curation will be. No, I think you're 100% right. It is biased, but I think at least we perceive it to be more transparently biased. Like we know that uh, Gwyneth Paltrow is, is, curating the the goop product line uh, which is going to be different <laughs> from queen. things that oprah is curating right we we understand that those are different people with different worldviews and perspectives yeah uh, and i think that the and i, I think that they're and that's very complicated because obviously it's not just two individuals there are entire teams of people built around them that are providing those recommendations i think the the question around algorithms that a lot of people have right now is just we don't see the biases that are built into them we know mm-hmm. that most of them are written by straight white men living in san francisco uh, but uh we presume that to be true for the most part um but outside of that we don't really know and i think there is something around transparency of biases and right. creators and I, where i actually think that there might at some point you might see algorithmic culture and um, the democratized creativity sort of intersect and see are there ways to open up the algorithms to be created by more people so that yes. I can share with you, hey, I fine-tuned my Hulu recommendations and you can copy my algorithm because we have similar tastes. And oh, that would be interesting. It goes back to, I think, what we were talking about in the beginning of this section that is for an algorithm to be an algorithm, it is neither inherently nor good or bad. It has right. to be agnostic. Mm-hmm. And that could come from opening it up to more people, more di- whatever, yeah. more types of data, more information. Even just customization yep. on a personal basis. There are starting to be some tools that allow you to do things like this. Uh, I think I'm thinking specifically of um, what uh, shortcuts allow you to do in mm-hmm. Apple's ecosystem, yeah. which basically allows you to build some of your own algorithms and own tools into the operating system. I think we're going to see more things like that that are like, you don't have to learn how to code. This is just a way for you to give us the feedback to fine tune this. And like I said, I think the, the interesting thing will be at a point where we can maybe share those with others. Yeah. Um, and then again, it's driven by personality. It's basically human curation. Right. right? Again, right. automated human curation, but human curation. Uh, but uh, again, it's like you you have a better sense of what you're getting yourself into, I uh-huh. think. Yeah. I think the one place where I've seen this today just in the social space is with the new Byte app that had just got released. So pretty much like the Vine 2.0. Notably, they are making as transparent as they can all the updates they do to like the content recommendation algorithm on the application. So that way the creators know how to, in a sense, optimize for it um, when they're making their content. And they aren't just like kind of shocked when, uh, for example, a, a YouTube creator just his video views get cut in half because the algorithm changed and they've got no idea why. Um, so I think it's, that's kind of like a very interesting, um, you know, example of kind of how we're starting to see, um, that transparency that you guys are talking about get shifted into some of the consumer apps that we have uh, in market today. And with that, we may as well round out our four trends here with the last one called the age of anxiety. What prompted this title and this name? Like, like, <laughs> like, like, like what is this all about? Uh, I think uh, you can tell by the underlying tone of the previous three sections that, you know, between an overabundance of new content and also the pressure to create new content constantly um, to 
data being captured and tracked um, in increasingly more places um, out in public, not just uh, on our devices, to questions about algorithms running our lives. I think that you know the idea here is that consumers are uh, anxious about these things, and there is an underlying sense of anxiety and concern around the effect that um, you know increasingly more technology in more parts of our lives and is going to have on us as humans. Um, and so, you know, the, the takeaway really for brands is first try not to contribute to it, uh, as little as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, make sure you have good data practices, uh, and are, uh, you know, transparent with your consumers about, um, data you're capturing and giving them tools to remove that data. Uh, then beyond that, giving them ways to sort of detox, um, right. whether that's, uh, more privacy, more offline spaces, human curation so that they don't have to worry as much about the algorithms and the, the overflow of content. <laughs> it's, as, um, it's as man versus machine <laughs> this year. That, that, that's what it's really coming down to. Who do you trust more? Or man with machine. Right. I don't think, yeah, I don't think it's necessarily totally adversarial in that way. I just think that there is, it's about brands acknowledging that consumers feel anxious and concerned about these things and figuring out ways to help them deal with that and cope Mm -hmm. with that because no one's saying let's you know permanently turn off our phones and throw throw them in the ocean uh but how do we you know find ways to have a healthy relationship with all this content and all this technology i don't think we go to a place where everyone throws their smartphones away that will not we're not going back to that and i think what you see a lot in i would say recent brand marketing and advertising is bashing smartphone culture. And I think the reality of it is we're not going back. Like we're not going back to a place where we erase the smartphone. And so I think what we're seeing is like a healthy embrace back to the middle of that pendulum swing where I think maybe we did kind of overdo it with like how much time we're scrolling and all of the algorithms that drove a lot of our consumption on social media, things like that. But there is a happy medium and I think we're starting to figure out like how we get there and what that looks like and what we mm-hmm. do about it. Yep. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, and so I just want to actually round out this section because that, that pretty much covers the, the four trends of this year's 2020 outlook titled the race to the next platform. Normally we see technology platforms shift every 15 years. That is kind of like the standard. Yep. Do we think the, the smartphone could actually extend past 15 years? Like could this be the first time where we see a platform maybe go to like, like, like the 20 years? Yeah, I think one thing that we are thinking through is that the smartphone, because it is the ultimate one computer for every person sort of device, it might last a lot longer than other mm-hmm. former computing platforms. We might have reached a point of maturity where smartphones are basically the end result of computing as a paradigm. And all of these other devices are not that they're accessories to the smartphone necessarily, but they're complementary. And uh, that none of them are going to have the capability in the short term to really totally replace the smartphone as an interface, um, including things like AR and VR that obviously you know could subsume a lot of things, but, uh, in, in the next, uh, cycle, we might have to go another cycle basically before things like AR and VR are good enough and, uh, low cost enough and advanced enough to really replace the smartphone. And so it could, we could be looking more like 30 years down the line. But I think in the same way, if you look kind of back, I guess mainframes aren't a good example, but if you look at desktop computers, those haven't gone away. 
They're not the central mm-hmm. point of computing. I think that has been taken out of the office and out of the home into our pockets with the smartphone. But in the same way that we haven't totally abandoned computers and mm-hmm. we're doing all of our work on our smartphones, I don't know that the smartphone disappears. When we talk about when we talk about the next age of computing, I think sometimes you see things around, oh, the smartphone goes away. I don't think the smartphone necessarily goes away. Mm-hmm. I think maybe to Adam's point, there are things that add on to it and unbundle its functionality and work in an ecosystem. Potentially um, augmented reality could do that in multiple capacities, but um, I just, I wanted to point that out because yeah. I don't yeah. know that the phone goes. Yeah. I don't think away. it goes away point. for a very long time. Um, just like, you know, we're, we're still all using computers for most of our work. Most people are still, yeah. you know, I, um, I have one right here. <laughs> I got a phone over here. Um, no, I, yeah, like that, like that was a good point. I mean, maybe I'm thinking more of kind of like, I'm thinking too siloed, uh, kind of when it, like, when it comes I, to the epoch. I think when we think about the epochs, it's usually like, where, where are you spending, where's most of the attention going? Right. And it went, it mm. moved from desktop com- in laptop computing to the smartphone for sure. I think what we're saying is it might we might be at a mature enough place that nothing in the near term really replaces the smartphone for that amount of attention. Right. And when we say platform, what we mean by that too, I think it, it's worth it to clarify that platform means industries are built on top of it. So in the same way that um, Uber and Seamless and all of these other mobile-based delivery providers or creativity tools were built on top of the iOS and Android platform. Mm -hmm. So too, in the next era of computing, what we'll look for is it's not just a technology that comes out. It's what's what, how do industry shift? How do new business models emerge that are built on top of that shift in computing? And what does that look like? And I think that's what, that's kind of like the, information we look for when we're talking about next computing platform. Yeah. Awesome. No, that was, that was very insightful, uh, Christina. Uh, and so with that, we're actually going to go straight into the floor nine mailbag section new in 2020. So we, uh, sent out some tweets and some LinkedIn posts and uh, a bunch of emails to, uh, get some actual questions from our listeners. So we have a few questions from our audience that I'll be asking the both of you. So first up, uh, from one of our listeners, we have a question. Uh, this one comes from Twitter. So thank you. What technology or trend are you most excited to watch develop in 2020? I am most interested to see how uh, Christina mentioned hearables earlier to mm-hmm. see how AirPods and other headphones that are more starting to become more computers rather than just headphones, um, how they develop in 2020. I don't know that we're going to see AirPods turn into a real platform, but uh, there are some companies experimenting with the idea that you just have audio devices um, in your ears. More often, you can do more kinds of things with them. And I think um, that is a really interesting foray into the ambient computing we were talking about earlier. Um, and so that's that's what I'm interested to see. I'm really interested. I, I think I might have said this last year, but I still am really interested in it this year. Visual search, okay. I think. And when I say visual search, what I mean is it could AR in retail capacities could fall under this as well. But I think given how far we are in camera based technologies and all of the attention that's being put on camera based inputs from the major tech platforms, what I am hoping to see is shoppable functionality that is tied seamlessly into a visual search experience, meaning 
Google Lens. I am able to take a picture of Adam's water bottle and I will be able to buy it right there. Or I will be able to hold my phone up in my apartment that has an AR rendering um, of a bed that I've been working with an interior designer on within that app. And I can actually point and buy everything. It's still kind of a disjointed experience right now. Mm -hmm. You have to click out and you have to, it's all these steps. I think we have the component parts in place to, for on the payment side, on the AR side, on the camera side, on every side possible to kind of like make the cake and make this a reality. And I think that will totally transform how marketers that sell products think about what a store is. Right. I think a store becomes a photo at that point. And I think that's just su has super interesting implications for reaching consumers. A store becoming a photo. That is, that's like super interesting to think about. So for me, it's like any like contactless payment anywhere I go, that's like my favorite thing. So that, that's kind of what I'm watching. It's like, what can I tap to pay or touch to pay or pay with my face? I love it. Or even fast forward to when AR glasses come on. I don't even need to hold my phone up. I can just look at something with AR glasses. And when they're voice enabled, I can say, buy Adam's water bottle when I'm looking at it. And that will happen with my card on file and things like that. I, that's dangerous. <laughs> that's it's quick. the new uh, checkout aisle. Yeah. Thank you, listeners, for those questions. Uh, if you'd like to be featured on the show, feel free to drop us a question at uh, our Twitter handle, at IPG Lab, or on LinkedIn. Email us, whatever uh, you find most easy for you. Um, so lastly, as we head into the weekend here, I just want to kind of take a poll around the room here. What, uh, what kind of things are you guys kind of testing this weekend? You know, technology, food, culture, like what are the things that you're interested in that are uh, kind of popping for you as we go into the weekend? I just downloaded the beta of this app called Save My Wardrobe. Oh, tell me more. It is, if anyone has seen Clueless and probably people listening weren't alive when this movie came out, but shares it's shares closet in clueless so what it is and it's in beta right now um you download the app you take a photo of every piece of clothing you have in your closet mm -hmm. and using computer vision and ai it'll create outfits for you and remind you to wear those things or put oh, new combinations cool. together and the way that they're talking about it i think is really cool it's around sustainability and so instead of buying new clothes for that kind of like new closet mm -hmm. feel, it repurposes what you have in your existing closet and refreshes them in new ways right. and puts them with different things. And I will report back. It's still in beta. We're still crunching all of the results and stuff like that. Um, but I just think it's a super cool technology. Yeah, no, I like that. What is old is new, like remixed refresh. That seems to be the vibe exactly. for 2020. I love it. Adam, what about yourself? What are you, what are you testing? <laughs> what, are you, what are you getting into? Uh, I have been playing a video game called Control recently that is one of the best games I've played in a really long time. Uh, what and is it? It's, it's, a, it's a console game um, that, uh, that is story-driven and has sort of a relatively standard, serious kind of uh, you know horror sci-fi-ish plot. But the thing I like about it is that I think sometimes game developers forget that games are supposed to be fun. Um, and <laughs> Control... Like drop. <laughs> control is... Uh, it's fun. It has a sense of humor about itself. Um, one of the concepts in it is that there are these objects of power that are normal everyday objects that can uh, basically be imbued with supernatural powers. Uh, and so, you know, there's like a record player and a rubber ducky that like you have to chase down uh, that is, makes squeaky noises 
that are kind of creepy because you're alone in this giant like office building and this thing is squeaking at you ominously. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I think they did such a good job uh, towards the end of the, um, it has beautiful art direction throughout, but towards the end of the game, um, they did such a good job of ha- giving you a moment um, where you could just basically feel like a superhero, where you're you're sort of buffed up enough with um, both your weapons and you also have sort of psychic abilities like the ability to launch things with your mind at your enemies. And they give you this moment where you have to put on a specific uh, a specific song that you receive from the janitor of the building. And you get his, <laughs> you, you have to put on headphones and it plays this like this metal song where you're running through this very insane, very David Lynchian uh, maze uh, where walls are constantly like appearing and disappearing and enemies are flying at you. The enemies in this section are super easy to defeat, but that's the point. The point is you're playing through a music video and it's it's really puffing you up before you have to go into the final battle to be like, you're amazing. Look at all this awesome stuff you just did. Okay, now <laughs> you can go do something really hard. Um, and I just, it just made me feel like they really understand the idea that uh, games are supposed to be fun. It's not just supposed to be a slog uh, to, and full of really challenging things. Sometimes they need to give you something easy to make you feel confident about yourself. And and uh, I don't know. I just, what, uh, what platforms is it on? Uh, it is on PlayStation 4 and Xbox One. Okay. So Scott... Since you won't be playing Control, what will you be be doing this weekend? I don't have an Xbox or a PlayStation. What am I doing this weekend? Uh, I'm going to So Far Sounds. So for those that don't know, So Far Sounds is like it's like they they host little pop up concerts and poetry slams and other things in in New York City apartments. Uh, So you kind of show up and I think you get like the address a half an hour before the show or an hour before the show, and you have no idea what you're walking into and you just kind of show up for this thing. So it just seems like a like a really fun, cool experience. So I'm going with my girlfriend and a couple friends to kind of test that out. But aside from that, uh, the outlook will be live soon keep an eye out for it in our twitter handles instagram uh, our newsletter and if you like what you heard share tell a friend we greatly appreciate it so thank you talk soon